Welcome back to Presidents in Politics. I am one of your hosts, Professor Kayla McGee, joined by my fellow co-host, former Congressman Ross. Good morning. And today we're going to have the 25th president, uh, William McKinley. Fascinating man. Very fascinating man. Good was, guy, too. You know, it was interesting, too, because he's probably, you know, enters in this new 20th century uh, attitude about international relations mm-hmm. uh, and, and, it, and it tariffs. It consumes mm-hmm. his career, but um, a really good man. He was. I mean, again, you and I throughout the theme of this podcast, a lot of goodness and greatness. He was a good man and he was somewhat great. And obviously his predecessor will be much greater than him. Um, but he was he was a good guy, and he was fearless in his, in battle. I he was, yes. That. In fact, I think he was in the battle of as a as a private or something in the battle of Antietam. He was in the battle of Antietam and had his horse shot out mm-hmm. from under him and limped back to the to, to the, the Union lines. Yes, he'll 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 join he'll voluntarily join the Civil War, of course, for the Union side. He'll go in as a private. Yeah. And when he leaves, he's a major. major yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, in modern day military terms, yeah. can you imagine? First of all, yeah. it doesn't happen, but can you imagine in one conflict you go from private to major? Um, unheard of, but uh, just a, a remarkable figure. And while he's in the Civil War, he befriends uh, Hayes. Yeah, Colonel Rutherford B. Hayes. He, Colonel yes. Rutherford B. Hayes. And Hayes said this of him. I don't have my reading glasses, so I'll, I'll try to. I had to write large. Um, <laughs> when battles were fought or service was to be performed in warlike things, he always filled his place. I, I firmly believe, and reading about him, you, you just. You, he was a fascinating man. He and, was. And he wasn't afraid to admit that he might have been wrong, too, right. when, we, when we talk about the tariffs aspect of this. Because, mm-hmm. you know, here he is. Uh, he, he comes back from the Civil War. He goes and practices, learns how to practice law, mm-hmm. passes the bar, marries Ida, who uh, unfortunately has some serious health is- issues. Yes, both physical and mental. Yes. And which he usually be- go hand in hand. But he becomes her caregiver yes. early on yes. in their marriage and throughout yes. his entire political career. I think they said they had four happy years together was all wow. was all said and done. And what's amazing, which, which you know this from all the state dinners that you, that you've been at, but what's amazing, of course, it's, it's customary that when the president has a state dinner, the president sits at one end and the first lady sits at the right. other end, and then of course they fill in with dignitaries throughout. He refused to do that because his wife was so ill that when she could attend state dinners, he wanted her at his right hand where he could watch out for her, and make sure she was okay. Mm. And his staff was even like, "We don't do that." And he's like, "I don't care. I'm yeah, gonna take care of my wife." Yeah. And I love that about him. Well, like, you, you can't. Yeah, you what can't a fault cool a man dude. For that. Like yeah. he's basically like, I don't care who we tick off. My wife's gonna sit next to me. And I'm gonna watch out for her because she needs that. Yeah. Like that's a good guy, and it, it, yeah. In fact, I, I his wife's father, I guess, was a banker that he started mm-hmm. doing some work for as a mm-hmm. lawyer, and really endeared himself to the banking industry. Finds himself in state politics. Um, next thing you know, he's uh, in Congress, mm-hmm. and and he he battles. You know, he's from Ohio. He battles. He serves for fourteen years, but he is not reelected twice during the, you know during his time in Congress. But he does serve a total of fourteen years, and uh, and he becomes quite the um, you know the protectionist. Uh, Pretty much so. Of the, of the American worker, and he is the author of the McKinley Tariff Act, mm-hmm. which I, th- I don't think he regrets later on, but I think he's opened up to now realize uh, you know, during his presidency that we can't be isolationists when it comes to economics. No. It just doesn't work. We talked about this last yes, we week did. on the podcast. You spent a good amount of time with this idea of, of, of uh, political economy, if you will, right. and the idea of free trade versus the idea of protectionism and the pros and cons of both. And, and you understand the heart of both, right? Like you understand protection. You want to you wanna take care of the American jobs, and, and, I, and I'm all for that. We're all for that. But at the same time, as, as we have both said, which, I mean, Freeman said it first, um, self-sufficiency is inefficiency, right? Yes. We have to trade. I mean, we have to trade, but how do we trade in an ethical manner? And balanced. 
and, and balance. How do, how do we trade that we take care of American jobs and we're not exploiting individuals overseas that are working um, slave labor or farly underfunded labor? It, it's, a, it's a type wire act. And, and McKinley uh, attempts this. And it doesn't always work. It's, I remember who was it so long ago who made a statement that if you want to see a politician look like a fool, ask him about medical care in the Middle East. <laughs> um, and you know that's true. Well, in the same way, if you want to see in this time period a politician look like a fool, ask him about trade. Yeah. Because I think in this time period, more guys got more derailed in their, their political careers in trade than almost anything else. And, and again, I, you're seeing more of a global economy than we've ever seen before happening during the McKinley era. You're seeing, you know, the gold standard being attacked, and that's how he wins his first uh, term in, in, as a president. But you're, I think a lot of people don't understand economics. That's right. Still don't today. That's true. But but he is he, he's thinking, what I'm going to do is protect the American worker. We're going to put high tariffs that we are not going to allow imports to come in here and take away American jobs. And therefore, but unfortunately, when you do that in the long run, even sometimes in the short run, it creates a, a very recessionary period where people can't there's no competition right. and and your economy starts to stall and well, I, I think like, he realized that as president i like what you said this idea that a lot of people don't understand economics economics is one of those sciences where it, it is an art and a science i remember I had a, a, pro, a professor one time when i was an undergrad and he said that philosophy was teaching you things you didn't understand and making you feel guilty about it yeah and there's some truth in that and in some ways that's economics economics is the philosophy of, of the mathematical field right it really is because it's 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 so Unique, and there's so many un- un- intangibles that cannot be calculated. There's so many different and little so much variables. can be promised, though. Absolutely, so much can be promised without any evidence of, of proof. And yes. you know, remember the Clinton campaign in 1992. It's the economy, it's the economy stupid. stupid. You know, and and people say, well, yeah, it's the economy. I want more money. I want more money. I want exactly. a better job. I want a better quality of life. And if you can run on the economy, especially when the economy is down, yes. You don't need much proof. All you need is hope. And what you said is so true. For the average American, the term economy just simply means, do I have more money in my bank account and our groceries cheap? Yes. That's all economy yeah. means. It doesn't That's mean it. how do you achieve it. Exactly. You know, you know we can't produce everything here, so we got to have trade. But exactly. what does that mean? What does trade mean? Exactly. And the average American doesn't really care about a balanced trade route either. Do I have a lot of money in my checking and savings account and our groceries cheap? Yeah. And if you accomplish that, then they go, well, they're brilliant with the economy. I'm not yeah. brilliant with the economy. It might just be a good wave. Well, you're right. You right. know, and, and we talked about this in class too. You know, I mean, all of a sudden we have cheap goods that we can buy, but we have no jobs to support wages exactly. that can go buy these goods. So exactly. that's why the balance of trade is so important. Exactly. And I think McKinley realized that because he, did. he, he gets into become president, and then he realizes, uh oh, you know, we've got to do something about trade. We've got to reduce tariffs. We've got to do yes. uh, better. We've got to be more um, uh, interdependent in a yes. global sense when it comes to tr- when it comes to trade. What you said is true that at this time period, if we just look at the world history, because history doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? If we look at this idea of history, history is becoming much more globalized at this yes. time period. I mean, the uh, Industrial Revolution. Absolutely. And McKinley, right after this, of course, his second VP will be Teddy Roosevelt. Yep. We can't wait to get to. And what is one of the first initiatives Teddy Roosevelt does is the Panama Canal, which had already been tried before. The French had been trying it for a while. The French could not figure out how to get this done because there's constantly civil war. All their workers are getting malaria. They don't know what to do. So finally, the French give up on it. And then Teddy Roosevelt's like, we need a canal that we can actually trade 
around the world that will cut Because he central, sees trade. Because he sees trade. The global impact. So it's not like it's just our idea. The French are already trying it. We're trying it. Like the whole world as a whole is coming together and going, okay, we need global trade, which we have today. At, um, amazing. An am, amazing magnitude. I think in our class, you even showed the idea of where ships are. Yeah, the maritime app. Yeah. yeah it shows all these ships, thousands, And thousands it looks like the ships. stars in space, right? It does. Like, and this is what we are so interdependent on. If we were to close down, if every country were to close down their borders and say, we're going to do just what we can manufacture, um, economies would plummet. They would, they would collapse. Your grocery stores would be pretty pretty yeah. darn empty, except for what regional things. Regional, in the and south, seasonal, we'll regional corn, and seasonal. We eat corn and pork. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and right. beef. Yeah, I would say citrus, but that's not really working out too well for us as Floridians. Not at all, um, unfortunately. But nonetheless, you'd, you'd have this idea of very small, expensive regional economies. Yes. And who knows how long they would even be sustainable anyway. Probably um, not long, not with natural disasters the way they are. I mean, and, we've got to have global trade. That's just that's just fundamental to our sustainability and our growth. And especially if you look at the idea of population as well. Even look at, at America. Look at Florida and our population and look at a state like Wyoming. I mean, Wyoming has half of what Polk County has, right? Yeah. Like they have enough land and resources. They could probably feed their, what, 500,000 people. Mm-hmm. How is Florida going to feed our— 22 million. 22 million individuals. Yeah. Right. So then you can imagine what, what local economies would begin to look like. So not only is there this idea, we understand from a from a local level, some of my students, it's like the, the interstate system. And we understand trade and commerce between states. Right. It's the same concept on a global level. The only difference is we're not all working with the same rules. And that's where things start getting exactly. really weird. Exactly. We don't have the same regulations. We don't exactly. have the same labor laws. Exactly. You know, there's environmental concerns. There's all different types of yes. concerns. And that's where the consumer has to be a little bit smarter about where they're buying from and when they exercise the power of their dollar. Exactly. Exactly. And I think McKinley understood that. And McKinley was a fascinating man in that he also was a – well, let's let's talk about how he got elected. Yes. You know, William Jennings Bryan comes across and says, you know, what we're going to do is we're, we, the, we, we, we don't need the gold standard. We need a mixed metallic. Mm-hmm. We need gold and silver and what that will do. And, and I read about this. Brian says, if we use silver, that will inflate the dollar, yes. which means that you farmers can buy more. Mm-hmm. But, but it, inflation, you're really buying less it's right. with more money. That's right. And that's, that's what was happening. And so here you have McKinley who, you know, front porch, mm-hmm. he stays on his front porch mm-hmm. and people come to hear him speak. And, and he does his campaigning from the front porch where William Jennings Bryant travels all over and loses big time mm-hmm. twice mm-hmm. to the same guy. Yeah. And then, of course, if for those who are a fan of history who are listening, uh, Bryant will kind of go unheard of until, of course, the Scopes Monkey yep. trial. Yep. And yep. They, they they find that he's kind of washed up at this point. I don't know how to say that. They pull him out of retirement. Yeah. He's kind of washed up. And then they use him to 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 prosecute, if you will, yeah. um, this, this this school teacher from Dayton, Tennessee, who is who's trying to teach evolution in the classroom. And they get uh, Brian, and he, he he's not as sharp as he once was, and yeah. he's not very sharp in, in the courtroom. So that's kind of the next time he'll, after being defeated twice— uh, for the White House, and I think he's more known for that. The defense, or, or the, yeah, I guess that was the prosecution. Yes, for yes. that, and they were successful in the prosecution. Of course, ultimately, it, it was overturned. But it was, uh, and he was only fined. I don't know what it was. Now it's yeah, been it so long, thirty no, bucks no. or something. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so so interesting. Like you said, running yeah. opponent uh, that, that kind of plays out. One of the things I thought about with histories, I thought about this is. Um, McKinley, obviously, his second VP will be Teddy Roosevelt. And there are a few presidents well, who ever yeah. known like Teddy Roosevelt. We can't wait to get to him. But I thought about this. It, it, I'm just waxing a little philosophical here. Not everyone can be a Teddy Roosevelt. But you might be a McKinley. Not everyone can be a McKinley. 
but you might be a haze. And not everyone can be a haze, but you might be Hayes's single mom who raised him. Yeah. Like you stop and think about this, like this, this, this chain that goes throughout history. And you may never be the Teddy Roosevelt who changes the world, who everyone knows as a household picture, right? But you could be that like one like school teacher or that one single mom or that one father who was influential in that unbroken chain of success. And I just thought a lot about that because there would have never been a Teddy Roosevelt other than William McKinley. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Garrett Hobart. The first VP. The first VP. Who dies in office. Who dies of a heart disease in, <laughs> yes. in office. But he, Garrett was so well-liked, so sought out by cabinet members, by McKinley for advice and counsel. And he's doing very—I mean, he's—but he's, and, and, then he, he suffers and dies in the latter year of the, the first term of McKinley. And so what does McKinley do? He goes and gets Teddy Roosevelt, who I believe is governor of New York at the time. Yes. Now, now, this has happened in history before, but it happened after. Gerald Ford became vice president by appointment and then became president uh, by succession to Richard Nixon, who yes. resigned. That's essentially what happened here. Yes. Had it not been for Garrett Hobart mm -hmm. dying in mm -hmm. office, we wouldn't have Teddy Roosevelt. That's a perfect way of looking at that. And, and, and suddenly, you know, here's a guy who becomes president who never ran for vice president. President who never was who never ran for president. No, no. amazing. Yes, I love history. that you bring that out because that's what I love about history is the ripple effect. And yes. as you would say, you and I see this both as people of faith is the providential hand of God. Yeah, tiny little acts Just that seem so insignificant. Nothing, yes. When you think that uh, I'm over, I'm washed up, you know, suddenly, boom, you're back yes. in the game. Yes. And, you know, by, by whatever act, yes. you know, that may occur. But And, and that's Teddy Roosevelt that yes. we're going to get into. But and, and again, as we're kind of tying this all together, William McKinley will, will, will start something. Well, I guess he'll finally acquiesce to the Spanish-American War. Yes, he and, doesn't. Cause, cause, yeah, he doesn't want to do no, that. He doesn't. He's anti-imperialism. Yes, he is. And and he doesn't like it. We can't have this. But he's the first one to use the press to his advantage because yes. he realizes that the Hearst machine and Pulitzer right. are out there with yellow journalism and muckraking muck journalism, raking, which yes. is so important. And this time. and, and in, in, in you know inspiring this fear in the Americans. <laughs> About Spain and coming what through doing. Cuba up through Florida. Yeah, which have we heard that multiple times throughout history? Continue. Yeah, I mean, continue it's, to hear it, it over and over. Miles up. off the coast. Come on, when you're in Key West, you're closer to Cuba than you are to Florida. If you're Floridian, how many times have you heard that growing yeah. up? Right, like there's always been this perpetual fear. Uh, that Cuba is going to be the launching ground for a foreign power, which, you know, the, not th that's completely but unfounded. Let's talk about that because he, <laughs> they have the Spanish-American War, which only lasts 100 days. The Splendid Little War. The Splendid the Little splendid War. The Splendid Little yes, War. Yes, Oh, if there should ever be such a thing. <laughs> right. It's kind of, uh, yes. But in doing that, you know, America takes Philippines, they take Guam, mm -hmm. they take Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. and they take Cuba. Mm -hmm. And then they go to vote to annex all these, <laughs> and they end up annexing everything but Cuba. Yes, and Cuba gets their independence. You know, what if we had annexed Cuba? Hmm. I, you know? I, we went through this with my classes we were just in. We talked about this, this idea of, of it, it's, such, it's such a sticky situation, right? Anti-imperialism, as McKinley was. Right. You don't want the, the old roots of colonialism. But look at what Cuba has gone through with oh, the yeah. communist regimes and through Castro and through all the issues, and all the human rights violations and, and the amount of individuals who have fled that to come into Florida and other places. Right. And had that been annexed, would it have been another Puerto Rico? Which I know there's a, there's a lot of complaints there. But the, the 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 protection, the security, the wealth that, that America brings, the quality of life in Puerto Rico is life, better than Cuba. No matter what an individual wants to argue, right? And right. There, there's so many arguments about that. But I I, I can assure you that 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 a, that a Cuban refugee and an individual in Puerto Rico, if you want to look at the quality of life, is vastly different. Oh yeah. 
And I know what we're saying is very probably politically controversial, honestly. But I mean, it's what we do, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but if you were to look at, I, I love this. Hypothetically, had Cuba been annexed as well, and it became an American territory, what would it look like today? You're right. It would be a vacation kingdom, I would imagine, oh and uh, probably a major producer of certain agricultural products, including <laughs> sugarcane. Is that and, what you were thinking? Yes. That, you were thinking sugarcane and tobacco. Okay, yes. Um, but yes, like if you stop and think about this, and this this war, if we're like Teddy Roosevelt, McKinley, how they're like they're so interlinked. This war makes Teddy Roosevelt. Oh gosh, yes. This the is what writers. makes Teddy Roosevelt because I, I'm sure you know this, but I don't know if our listeners do. Teddy Roosevelt, when this war breaks out, was the assistant secretary to of the Navy. Navy. Yes. Cushy civilian job that pays well with a fancy bully, office. Bully. Yeah, no. bully, bully, right? Uh-uh, you couldn't I'm beat here. it. Done. He leaves and voluntarily forms the Rough Riders. Yeah. And then he he's smart enough that he brings a guy, um, Richard Harding Davis, along with him, who's, who's a media correspondent, and he publishes all of his war exploits along the way. So when he comes home, now he's a war hero. Yes. So now McKinley's like, I could use that guy for my VP, yeah. right? And, and so the whole thing's interconnected. So like McKinley finally acquiesced to the war, and the war builds the guy that he's going to bring on as his VP, yeah. and then he's assassinated. So like the whole, they're just interlinked. You can't talk about McKinley and not talk about Roosevelt, right. and you can't talk about Roosevelt and not talk about McKinley. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, McKinley essentially not only discovered, but through his actions with the Spanish-American War, made Teddy Roosevelt. Made Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Roosevelt becomes this war. Now, and I remember at this time period, who's voting? Men. Yeah. Just men. So you're playing just to the populace, uh, and, and then especially this time period of that rugged individual. And, and who is Roosevelt? Oh. Uh, cowboy, hunter. Yeah. Explorer. Police Fearless. commissioner, soldier. I mean, he, he Davis would write in his journal when 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 Roosevelt was riding up, up uh, San Juan Hill's charge that that a, that a Spanish soldier jumps on Roosevelt's horse and Roosevelt breaks the guy's neck with his bare hands and rolls him off the horse, right? And this is like this is Roosevelt. So obviously when he comes, he's like the Chuck Norris of the day. <laughs> Every man around's like, we're gonna vote for that guy. Yeah. So McKinley makes Roosevelt, yeah. and then McKinley pushes him on the national stage. Like you yep. could not have had. But again, who makes McKinley? But Hayes. You're right. You just, you just see these. You're right. You're, you just you're see absolutely these right. Interconnected yeah, little McKinley's pieces. McKinley's uh, elected to Congress the same year Hayes is elected president of the United States. Yes. And, it, and, and of course, McKinley serves under Colonel Hayes in the Civil War. And McKin- uh, McKinley even pauses his what was it last month or two of of um, running for the House, his, his campaigning yes. in order to run and in order to campaign for Hayes because there's such a good friendship. Yeah. And Hayes remembers that there's like this constant little back and forth of all these interconnected webs. We wouldn't have, like, and you just again, you just have to see the providential hand of God, just I agree moving with you. and, and we all need these to see little more things. Of that. <laughs> yes, maybe we are. We're just not recognizing it. You know, I remember I had I had a professor one time, and he said uh, he was talking to one of his his colleagues, and he said, you know, where are the greats? Where are the Roosevelts? Where are the yes. others? And he said, you don't see them because you're walking among them. Wow. It's probably a lot of truth. To who that. knows who the, who the next Roosevelt is, who you're the McKinley right. working with them. We're rubbing shoulders with them. I History right. might bear them out 50 years from now, but we need to find them while yes, we're rubbing we shoulders do. with them. Yes, sooner, sooner <laughs> we, than when you can imagine. We, we need them uh, very, very greatly. So he wins his second election. Yes. And he goes to the, uh, what was it, the uh, Pan-American yes. Exposition in, in Buffalo. In Buffalo, New York. Yeah. Nothing good comes out of Buffalo, right? Oh. Uh, September 6, 1901, Temple of Music. Which was a famous building that John Philip Sue, so we keep coming back to him, yeah. would, uh, would often perform in. And it doesn't go well for him. No, I can't say the guy's last name. Col- uh, uh, Shelbosh. Shelbosh. Because it's, it's Polish. Polish, yeah. He's yeah, an American Polish, Polish yes. uh, who, who uh, w- was an anarchist. He did not, yes. yeah. You know, he, he believed in anarchy. He, yes. uh, I think he was trained by some guy that went over to Italy and shot their 
uh, the, the, their president. Mm-hmm. So he felt it was you know his job to do it here. Mm-hmm. And it, the, 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 but because of this, because of the, the the death of McKinley, we see the Secret Service being created. That's right. You know, we see all of us. I mean, it's the third. It's the third uh, presidential assassination in American history. Mm-hmm. When are we going to learn? When are we going to do something about Sh- this? We should probably protect this guy. There are crazy yes. people out there. Yes, I remember my granddad with all the. Uh, Okeechobee wisdom and colloquialisms, he used to always say every bright light is going to attract a few bugs. And there's some truth in that. Think about like religion and politics. The crazies gravitate around Boy, that kind of that stuff. Truth? Right? Yeah. And there, there's some serious truth in that. So I love, I, we got to talk the history of the Secret Service. You brought this up. The Secret Service, as you well know, was not started as a protection detail. It was started right. to help fight counterfeit money. Lincoln, right. ironically, Lincoln starts it. He could have he yeah. could have used it greatly, right? But Lincoln will start the Secret Service, and it, it's estimated, historians estimate that at that time period, because, I mean, the Civil War everything's going on, that 50% of the currency, the money that was in circulation, was counterfeit. 50%? Up to 50% wow. is, what's, is what's speculated. So Lincoln is like, you know, we cannot have a country running on half counterfeit money. So he forms the Secret Service, and their number one objective is to— find counterfeit money and arrest, or probably in that time period, hang counterfeiters. We, we've got to get control of this. And that's their, that's their only job. And now, after this next assassination, third assassination, they start looking for federal agencies. Money's super tight. We've got to figure out someone. Well, the Secret Service only have one job. They just simply root out money. Money's getting better off. Let's give them the job of the protection of the presidency. No kidding. And they start I protecting the president. That. Wow. So that's how it all shakes out. Wow. But, I mean, it's just, again, it's just such weird little things in history. If you ask the average person on the street, tell me the Secret Service, they picture the guy with the black suit, right. the dark sunglasses, the earwig, and they're, you know, whatever. That's not how it started. The whole thing was to try to protect the economy. It comes back to the economy. You're it right. was to try to protect the economy because the economy was going to fall because it was running on counterfeit money. Yep. And then, ironically, Lincoln starts the Secret Service. And then finally now they start knowing their job as the protection detail. Yes. And they're Which, very good at it. Yeah, they were just a little, little late on this just one. Just a little late on this but, one. But, you know, Garfield gets – the guy comes up to him to go shake his hand, shoots twice. Mm-hmm. One goes off his uh, button. The other one gets in his abdomen. Mm-hmm. And if, as I read, there was a, a doctor who uh, started looking for two bullets and, and, and it didn't wash up. Right. And, and um, they thought that he was going to live. They, they mm-hmm. figured – but eight days later he dies of, of gangrene. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in, in infection. And it's just a tragic ending. It is. Yeah. Leon um, Shelgosh, like you said, he, he, he's an anarchist. He uses a very small caliber weapon. It's a thirty-two caliber. I mean, yeah. you're familiar. You're a hunter. Um, it's a very small caliber round. So he said the first round goes off the button. The second one embeds. So when the doctor's in there um, – McKinley's a big guy. He's like 200 pounds. Yeah. So, so the doctor's like, well, it's probably just lodged in the back muscle. He's got some thick back muscle. He'll be fine. We're going to just sew him up. And like you said, he ends up getting gangrene. So historians always wonder, was the bullet dirty? Yeah, they thought it might have even been a poison bullet. They thought it might have been yeah, the bullet, which yeah. was an old technique, right? The, the, even going way back with European wars, I mean, back like the Prussian wars, they would, and the Civil War did this too, they would take their, 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 their ball, the ball of musket, they would take their balls, and they would soak it like in dead animals and feces and urine, like yeah. a lot of bacteria get on it. And then they would shoot an individual with that. And it was a, it was, it was biological warfare. It was a dirty bullet. Wow. So, um, is Shell Gosh, did he do something like this? We don't yeah. know. History no. doesn't say. This is pure speculation. But the gangrene sets on so fast. And had it been lodged like in a back muscle, was it a dirty bullet? We don't know. No. It could have been. It could have been. Um, but like you said, so he, he walks up, he acts like he's going to shake his hand, and then he has this small weapon, and it's wrapped in a, in a white handkerchief, and he, and he fires twice. Um, and it's a very, very, very tragic ending uh, to the life it of McKinley. Is. And what's interesting, I, I don't know if you've read this or not, but 
now Teddy Roosevelt, who's newly the VP, what has he been? Less less than a year yes. VP? Yeah, yes, less than less a year. Than a year. As VP. He's out camping. Yeah. And they can't find him. Um, and they finally go find him in a campsite, and they basically swear him in, like, over a campfire and have to get him back to D.C. I mean, he doesn't have any security, any protection. He's just like, it's just Teddy Roosevelt, like, out in the woods, like, yeah. smoking a cigar. And they go find, like, hey, you're the president now. I said, no. And they're like, no, you're the president. Now stand up. We're going to swear you in. Isn't that amazing? That's just cla- kind of classic Teddy Roosevelt, though. It but is. That's, that's where they, ha- they have to then, like, get him back, and he's still, like, in his camping gear and probably hasn't showered yet. And now he's acting president. They're, like, ushering him back to the White House really fast. Because um, he knew that McKinley got shot, but they tell him he's going to be fine. Yeah, you know, it was eight, da- exactly. it was eight days from the shooting. So he's like, you know, I'm going to go kind of de-stress some and go camping, and then he dies unexpectedly, and they have to go mm. find they have to go find Roosevelt. So, because again, the VP was kind of the most useless job. Yeah, you're right. John Adams was right. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean it, 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 it kind of was. Now we got to talk about his faith, though. He was a man of immense, immense faith. Um, he he's a Methodist, mm-hmm. uh, devout. He was a Sunday school superintendent when he was young. His mom always wanted him to be a pastor. Um, wow. Yeah, he he felt like he wasn't called that, but he loved the Lord. He 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 said that he got saved at the age of ten at a revival meeting, and it just changed his life forever. I believe that. I, be- I do too. Yeah. He, he was an abolitionist. He believed yeah. in, the, in the rights of individuals, um, the way he took care of his wife. I mean, like his life reflected what he said he believed. Yes. Uh, he, he genuinely cared about people. And, and you see that throughout. They, it was said of him that he was one of the most uh, friendly and just kind, compassionate presidents to work around. All of his staff said they just loved working around him because it's just the man that he was. And I believe That's that nice. was truly his faith. Uh, I think so too. The, when he was sworn in, uh, when he when his inauguration, he actually kissed the Bible, and he placed his hand on the open passage uh, from. I didn't write the reference down. I didn't write the first. I didn't write the reference down. But it's it's from the writings of Solomon when he became king, and, and, and this was the passage: "Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this thy people that is so great?" Wow. I like that. I do too. Because one of the things I, I, I try to do this in studies before is look at different passages that were open when, when presidents put yes. their hand on them, and some of them are so meaningful, and some are, seem random. They must have some like when Washington was sworn in, his was in Genesis over like Jacob, and it was like Jacob went in and came out, and you're like, what was that? Did the wind blow the page? <laughs> was, there, was there a reason why you chose that? But here's McKinley, and like this is this is so intentional. You can tell, God, I want your wisdom and I want knowledge that I can lead these people in, in a way. You see that. Yeah, um, and I think he practiced I think you, you hit it very well. He was intentional. He was. In so many ways. You know, he, he was he was very intentional on, on, on tariffs until he saw the, the, the damage it was doing, and then he became intentional against the tariffs. Yes. He, so he was the same way about, you know, protectionism, and then until he saw, you know, that it's not helping us. And, and interesting guy that probably did more to lay the predicate for one of the greatest presidents we've ever had. Totally agreed. Uh, that we'll get into Next time. I don't believe you could have had a Teddy Roosevelt without a McKinley. I agree with you. It would have never happened. Like, he, he is the reason why. And, again, that's why, to me, I always think that historically, you may not be the Teddy Roosevelt, but you could be the McKinley. Or you could be the Hayes. Or you could be Hayes' single mom mm-hmm. that no one reads about. Or you could be um, the, the wow. school teacher that, that influenced. Like, you can be that one person in history that, that could— plays that significant yes, role. Yes, that broken link could have changed all— all of history for generations to come, but you were that one little link that we don't read about, we don't talk You're about. Right. We don't talk about Hayes' single mom who did something, but she started something that would change the shape of a country forever. Yep. And that's Amazing. significant. We need to know that. I think sometimes, I, I truly believe that the greatest thing that an individual needs in life is purpose. Amen. And it, 
if they understand that in the big picture of things, we all have a role to play. Yes. And that our purpose is not insignificant. Yes. Just to understand that you have to use your passion to, to pursue it. Yes. And Maybe that, that mom listening to us right now, that single yeah. mom at home, tired, kid's been screaming all night long, and she's like, you know, what, what's my purpose? I'm, you never know what that kid no, could be or what that right. kid could influence, what could become. And I think that's the beauty of doing these podcasts over the presidents because you realize that these are just ordinary people that have been given extraordinary opportunities Absolutely. because of the people that helped them get to where they are. Absolutely. And we don't read about them, but no. we're all— all blessed with those abilities. Agreed. Yeah, when McKinley was was shot and then was he's going into surgery, um, his biographer said that his final words before being put to sleep was he was he was saying the Lord's Prayer quietly wow. to himself. And I, I thought a lot about that. I think sometimes in moments of great uh, tragedy, those very simple truths of faith come back to mind. Well put. Yeah, I, I, I've had a couple of health scares along my way, and I remember, I remember one of them laying in an ER and a doctor saying, like, you know, this, this might be really, really bad. And I remember my mind going back to, to Psalm 23 and just remembering yeah, those words and just thinking yeah. sometimes sometimes those deepest, darkest moments, it's just those simple elements of faith, they're the only thing that bring comfort. And I think McKinley was the type of man that he was because of his faith. He was yeah, a man of faith. He understood his mortality. He did. Yep. He, and, and he, he understood, understood his purpose. Ex- exactly. And the, the hereafter. Yes. Yes. So William McKinley, um, he's not a Teddy Roosevelt, but he builds a Teddy Roosevelt. Exactly. Without a McKinley, we would never have a Teddy Roosevelt. What was it? The old, the old, um, who was the old, old coach who said, if you can't be an athlete, be an athlete supporter. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't be a Teddy Roosevelt, be a Teddy Roosevelt supporter. <laughs> there you go. So we'll come to him next week. Thank you very much.